Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to read the first six verses, although we're only going to get through three. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to get back into James and look at some things in the book of James. If you watch any of the news, seen everything that's been happening in Israel, a new prime minister, a new government in Israel as a result of some of the fighting in the Gaza Strip. There's much that's been going on. You may or may not be aware, and I've given you some information on here as well, within the religion of Islam, there is a great controversy that the mosque that sits on the Temple Mount may not be the place that they always thought, that they believe that possibly their holy place is actually in Mecca and not in Jerusalem. And therefore, there are some Muslims that are advocating just abandoning the mosque of Omar, the mosque of, can't quite say the, the Arabic name. And what does that mean? Well, in light of Bible prophecy, it means a lot that if they abandon that, we could see where some things could happen with the building of the temple. We see how America is moving away from backing Israel. We see how America's young people are abandoning Christianity. All of these different things, and they're taken from various sources. I tried to give you accurate news sources. But then even this morning, you may or may not be aware, there was another mass shooting in Florida. We're seeing violence. We're seeing our world in all kinds of upheaval. We're seeing so many things happening, and you might be asking, what in the world is going on? Why is there another drought in California? Why are there already fires and so many things that just seems like, what's happening? The Word of God tells us what's happening. He tells us everything we need to know, and that's our hope. And that's my message for you today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'd like to begin reading verse 1 through verse 6. Even though the passage goes through verse 11, and we'll only really deal with the first three verses today. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pain upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober." I'm going to stop right there. And even though the Apostle Paul was only a very few weeks in, uh, in Thessalonica, and then he had to leave. And it's now, some months later, because other teachers had come in and they've said, well, we've missed the, the rapture, we've missed, and the day of the Lord is at hand. Paul taught them two things. 
the story which is that God in his great love and his mercy and his kindness sent his son to pay the penalty for our failures. We've failed to meet the standard. We've failed to meet what is necessary to know and have eternal life. Therefore, God sent his son to pay the price to meet that need so that we could have peace and a relationship with the Father. And so he offers forgiveness and he clothes us with Christ's righteousness. And so we've got to be brought to that kind of a message, and that's what the people needed to hear at Salonika. They needed to hear that. We need to hear that. That's a message for today, that the true God has a righteous standard, a standard by which all men are called to meet, or else if they didn't, they're judged. So Paul taught about the wrath of God that was going to come upon the world. If you maybe just want to go back real quickly in, in first chapter or in first Thessalonians one and verse ten, he gives us kind of a, an idea of what and I want to give this a little bit of a setting, for he says in verse chapter one, verse ten, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That was Paul's message. Paul's message was that Christ has come to deliver us from the wrath to come. So we're not under wrath. He writes back to them and he describes this is really a second coming church, the church of Thessalonica. It's really a church where they wanted to know, when are you coming, Lord? That's what the disciples asked even before the Lord was taken up. Are now are you going to bring the kingdom? Now are we going? We, we've seen you die, cru crucified, died, risen. Now is the kingdom coming? And the Lord says to them, it's not for you to know. <laughs> We're going to look at that a little more. We're going to look at that a little more in depth. But they were waiting. He doesn't describe exactly all that we know about the rapture. He doesn't describe what's going to happen because he says to them, you already know. You know what you need to know. So part of his ministry to them was to give the information about the wrath to come. That's what he said in chapter 1 and verse 10. So in, in 2.16, he again notes at the end of the verse, he says, but the wrath has come unto them to the utmost. So this wrath, it's really not defined because he had already told them about it. He'd already explained it. In chapter 4, verse 6, again, he refers to the fact that the Lord is the avenger. Chapter 4, verse 6, but no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testified. So Paul had already trained them, he'd already taught them, he'd already explained so much. And in the second letter that he writes a little bit later in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he builds on this previous knowledge. He builds and he lets them know in verses 3 and 4, he talks about their progress, their spiritual progress. And then in verse 5, he begins to talk about God's righteous judgment. Down in verse 6, he says that God is going to repay those who afflict his church with affliction. 
Then in verse 7, he says that the Lord will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these are going to pay a penalty of a eternal destruction. They're not going to see the glory of the Lord. They're not going to see the presence of the Lord. So I've said all of this. In these two letters, there's a number of references to the judgment of God. References that Paul had already taught them in the presentation. And that's why a little bit later he's going to say, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I taught you these things? And any time we present the gospel, it's important that we recognize and that we say there is judgment to come. Wrath is something that this world needs to be aware of. I, I'm just very touched because yesterday we had a birthday party for one of our grandsons. and My little granddaughter, worried about her cousin, <laughs> moved out of simple love. She asked him, are you saved? I want you to go to heaven with my sister and I. What? A, how simple to share that gospel message because she does not want to see her little cousin dying and going to hell. Now, she wasn't able to explain all of the great theological thoughts, but she just loves her cousin enough to say, I want you in heaven with us. How simple it is to share the gospel. And that's why Paul tells these saints at Thessalonica, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. And this is why we need to persuade men knowing the terror of the Lord. So Paul taught about sin. He taught about judgment. He had already given them the information that uh, in establishing the church there, that while I was with you, I told you these things. So he must have told them about the days of fury, the days of judgment, the days of wrath, the days of, uh, that God was going to destroy the wicked and consign them to a wicked hell. Judgment was part of his message. But now he speaks about judgment in chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons. The word is epics, the ages. Brethren, you have no need that I write to you. Why? Because they understood those things. They understood. And this is a reference to the day of the Lord. And we see that in verse 2. That's really kind of a key. Because the prophets of the Old Testament talked about the day of the Lord. They often spoke about that. It is a great and terrible Hi. day Let of the Lord. Let me interrupt for just a moment and update the you The rapture with some is different you from the day of the Lord. You can now contact us at We're going to examine. But prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Malachi, they all talk, or Amos, they all talk about the day of the Lord. It will be a day of darkness and not light. It'll be a day of judgment, not mercy. It'll be a day of wrath and not blessing. Over and over and over, the prophets of old Israel, and it's recorded for us. So thank you. And that God's going to, to bring podcast. cosmic catastrophes that will get the world's attention that people will have to see. And he overrule, he'll override, he'll overrule the natural process so that people recognize, hey, something amazing is going on. 
Amos tells us that under the fury of divine judgment on the day of the Lord, the whole earth will be devastated and will the turbulent seas will come up like, and he likens it to the Nile River that overflowed its banks and it drowned and submerged everything in its wake. And that's what Amos says that also the sun will go down at noon and cover the whole earth in darkness. Amos tells us that supernatural fire is going to come and destroy the sea and the land. All those. So this prophetic view of the day of the Lord is frightening. And while all of these Old Testament prophets were looking at the historical event near the end of which God is still in the future, is going to bring wrath in that historical day. He is bringing us to that point in our end time understandings that God is going to deal with the wicked. So Paul's talking about that in chapter 5. He says that, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So in chapter 4, he has ended with marvelous insight into the rapture. We're closing out chapter 4, and he's saying, these words are words of comfort to you. These words should be comforting to you. Why? Because I think you're probably familiar with these. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see, those at Thessalonica had been told, oh, they missed the rapture. And what about those saints that died and now ah, they, they missed it? They're gone. Well, Paul wanted them to know, wait a minute, they haven't missed it. For he lays it out exactly what's going to happen. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So he's, what's he saying? Those that have died, those Christians that have died, I always say they get about six feet head start. They get up out of the grave and then we're, we get to go with them. Now that's going to happen so instantaneous. First Corinthians tells us that it happens in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. In a split second, they're raised from the dead. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. What's it say? We're... For those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's how he's closed out. In chapter 4, and now in chapter 5, and now a new topic, the day of the Lord. You know what's happening in the resurrection. You know what's happening in the rapture. That's a different event. The rapture is a catching away of the saved. There's nothing there to fear. There is comfort. In fact, that's why he tells us to comfort one another with these words. The rapture 
talks about that catching away of the saved, that blessed event, that wonderful event, that time of glorification, that time that we become like Jesus Christ. No more of these world problems. No more of all this concern with what's happening here. It's a time when we enter into wonderful, eternal presence in the Father's house. And there's room enough to, stare, to spare because he's gone to prepare a place for us. So what a wonderful event, a hopeful event. But from there, he moves to a horrible event called the day of the Lord. The rapture was to comfort the Christians. That section was really as a comfort. And now this one is to trouble comfortable Christians. <laughs> When we become comfortable, maybe we need to study about the day of the Lord. His discussion of the rapture was not necessarily comprehensive, just enough to comfort them. He didn't tell them everything, but he told them enough that this should be a comfort. And his discussion here of the day of the Lord, it's maybe not comprehensive. It's enough to motivate and that's what we want to see, that the day of the Lord ought to be that motivating factor for us, that just like a little 10-year-old girl who doesn't want to see her cousin go to hell, that we are motivated because we know the day of the Lord is coming. We're going to look at that. So as we come to the day of the Lord, these first three verses, we see the coming of the day of the Lord, the character of the day of the Lord, the completeness of the day of the Lord. Why did he say that, that they didn't need any more information? For when you, they say peace and safety has come, when they say then sudden destruction comes upon them as with labor. And so he's, he's encouraging them. You know about this day of the Lord. You don't need to know anymore. We don't need to know anymore about the rapture. Why? Because that's in God's hands. God's going to take care of that. You can just trust in that. You can just lay your promises on the Word of God that we know that Jesus is going to come back and everything that we need to know, He's told us. We don't need to know exactly when. All throughout this world's times, and I think that Paul was looking for the coming of the Lord. I think that Paul expected that Christ was going to come in his day. And we can look back and see our Baptist forefathers, they always held it. Well, we think the Lord is coming. We see this happening. We see that happening. You know, it wasn't very long ago when Adolf Hitler came that our world was sure he is the Antichrist. The Lord is coming back, and our nation was moved because they wanted to see something, and yet here we are, how many years later? And the Lord hasn't come back. But I'm saying that He is coming back. He, it is true. We don't know when. And I would tell you, well, I'm the only one that knows exactly when the Lord's going to come. Did I wake everybody up? You say, oh, Brother Paul. As a matter of fact, my wife, when I was telling her a little about this, she said, so you know when the Lord's coming? Well, I do. At midnight. At midnight. Because somewhere in the world, 
it's going to be midnight when the Lord comes. Now, what day? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I cannot tell you exactly when. But he says of the times and the seasons, we're going to be able to tell. We're going to see some things. But we need to live today ready to meet the Lord. He could come today. It may not be at midnight. It may be at 1 o'clock. It may be in the next 15 minutes. I do not know when the Lord is going to come. And there have been a lot of date setters, and they've all been wrong. <laughs> There's a lot of today in, uh, in different groups, many that are saying, oh, we know when the Lord's coming. We know this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Don't listen to that. We know the Word of God, and He's coming again. He's coming again. Paul's response was exactly like Jesus. You don't need to know. Matthew 24, 36. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But it is for you to know. And he made an astounding statement that even the Son of Man at that time did not know only the Father alone. God has left us in the dark about exactly when. Every generation ought to live in the reality that Christ can come. Every generation should realize that we live our life ready to meet the Lord. And if we, all that are here, if we don't see the coming of the Lord for a hundred years, it doesn't matter. We live our life today as if He is coming. And I think that we're seeing signs of the times that He is coming soon. I could be wrong. Now, the Lord's given us information about the rapture. He described it. He told us what's going to happen. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The ones who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the, and changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And we're all going to dwell in the Father's house and forever be with the Lord. We understand there's a trumpet and the voice of the archangel, but we don't know about the timing. We know a little bit about the event, but we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. So there's no discussion on, discussion on the timing of the event. And there are three really explicit passages in the New Testament that deal with the rapture. In John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and then where we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4. All of those. But none of them tell us when. We have no knowledge of the when. There are numerous passages about the day of the Lord, but it does not tell us when. It tells us, we don't know the specific day or the hour, but it says these are the things you can look for. The specific times are not known, but everyone needs to live in anticipation. We need to be watching. So once the signs that precede the day of the Lord start to happen, a wise and informed person could really know, okay, some things are about to start. Some things are about to happen. Anybody who set the date is out of line with God's Holy Spirit. But there are some elements that we do know, that we can be assured of. And so look at verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly, you know this, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Let's stop right there. Paul had probably already taught them some of these things, and he uses the term our Lord Jesus used. Because remember Christ said that if 
The, the strong man had known at what hour the thief was going to come, the house wouldn't have been robbed. If he had known, then really he could have protected against that. Well, Paul adds the words thief in the night. In the night. Christ used the term the thief comes, but Paul adds in the night. Why? Because thieves usually come in the night. They don't announce their arrival, do they? Now, family, hopefully family, tells you when they're going to come, right? Loved ones are going to say, hey, what are you doing? We, can we come over? Friends, they're going to say, hey, we're on our way. What you up to? Can we get together? The thief doesn't call you up and say, hey, is tonight a good night to rob you? <laughs> right? He doesn't give you any kind of a warning. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said back in Matthew 24. The Lord indicated that in numerous ways. If the householder in the house had known when the thief was coming, it would have prepared, and he wouldn't have had his house broken into. And further, in verse 50 of chapter 24, if the slave had known when the master was coming back, he would have ordered his life differently. So there's an unexpectedness. Chapter 25 and verse 13 says that we are to be on the alert for you do not know when your master is coming. Luke 12, 39 and 40, the Lord says the same thing. So Paul says, look, with regard to the timing, when it's going to happen, you don't have any need of anything to be written to you because the Lord has not given us that information. Have you ever heard that sometimes information is on a need-to-know basis? Well, we have all the information we need. We don't need to know the exact timing because then we might be like that servant of Matthew that Jesus gave that parable. That we would just sit back and say, well, we've got time. He's not coming now. I don't need to worry now. But the timing details, no man knows the day nor the hour, nor e not even the Son of Man, but the Father only, Jesus said. So like the rapture, we can know about the event, but we don't know when it's going to happen. The day of the Lord we can know, but we don't know exactly what day, what time it's going to happen, because the Lord hasn't chosen to give us that. So now the concept, the day of the Lord, is a technical term. It's a technical phrase and appears numerous times in the Old and the New Testament. But what does it mean? It talks about a final cataclysmic judgment by God on the wicked. The prophets spoke of it. The New Testament writers speak of it. And it's always the unleashing of God's fury on sinners on this earth. As I said, it was a historical day of the Lord that the New Testament writers, or, or excuse me, Old Testament writers wrote about kind of in a preview. Many of them were using some of the judgments that were coming upon Israel to speak about that in a historical sense. That was something that was going to come upon the whole world in the end time. And all the discussions of that day, there was always a sense of nearness expectation, the element of surprise, all of that. And that's true for the rapture, and it's true for the day of the Lord. It will come as a sudden, unwelcomed, unharmed, harmful, and unexpected. That's what the day of the Lord is. Is there any benefit to living with all this information, you might ask? First John chapter, th 1 John 3, it says, He 
that hath this hope purifies himself. See, we that have the hope in the coming of the Lord, we live ready to meet him. We purify ourselves. And really that's speaking about the rapture, but that could also mean in understanding the day of the Lord and the judgment God's going to bring, that we could face the Lord face to face at any time. And then what about those that are left? What about loved ones? So we have the right, we have the place of directing and the purity of our own life. It's right, it's absolutely true. And that if that's with the rapture, the day of the Lord, you realize it could happen in any generation. We ought to make every very, very concentrated concern for this generation. We need to have a hope for this generation. We need to have, tell them of the eternal judgment that's coming. We know that terror is going to break loose. Because of that, Paul tells those in Corinth, we persuade men. Paul felt the rapture could have been in his day. These in Thessalonica, they thought the rapture could have been during that day. 2,000 years later, let me tell you, I know the rapture is sooner now than we've ever seen. And the rapture, we don't know exactly when, but John chapter 14 tells us, 1 Corinthians, that it's going to happen. And we might see the signs. We might see like the leaf that begins to shine so that we're living our lives ready. But these passages that deal with the day of the Lord tells us many, many precursors, many things that are going to happen. There are many numerous that are given uh, examples of the day of the Lord in passages. Uh, let me just give you a few, and I've given you those in your notes, like Malachi 4, 5. He says that before the day of the Lord shall come Elijah, the forerunner, shall come. And so he, he tells them that there's going to be a forerunner. And I believe that, yes, John the Baptist fulfilled that prophecy, the forerunner to Christ. But there's something else. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, there will be two witnesses. There will be Elijah-like characters. They will be uh, whoever they are. We don't know. But they will be that kind of a witness and fulfilling Malachi's prophecy exactly as he said. Now, I have certain theolog theological ideas of who the two witnesses are. But we know that Christ is going to fulfill his word by sending those prophets that are going to come and tell people, watch out, watch out. The day of the Lord is at hand. And, and that's what, there's a forerunner that's announcing the worldwide apostasy. There will be a worldwide rebellion against God and Christ. And all the, the, the hate scripture and the forerunners will be telling them, the day of the Lord is at hand. The sun is about to be revealed. But after Christ... We know that Antichrist, he will set himself up in the temple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about that. That the day of the Lord will not come until that man of sin be revealed and until he set himself up in the temple. Which means there be a temple in Jerusalem. Which means that he is going to bring an abomination of desolation. 
and that he sets himself up as the authority, as the one to be worshipped. Daniel tells us about that. By the way, Lord willing, on Wednesday nights, we're going to go through the book of Daniel in Daniel's prophecies. I want you to see some things that are happening in the book of Daniel so that you can be encouraged and know what Daniel's 70th week is all about. So Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking into some of those for the next couple of weeks. And then this as Antichrist appears, and the witnesses have been there proclaiming, the announcing the coming of the Lord. Another event is going to begin to take place. Joel chapter 3 verse 9 talks about the nations will be a begin to assemble in the valley of decision. The nations of the world are going to begin to come to a, the valley of Megiddo, called Armageddon in the Middle East. And you don't have to be too bright to know that when you focus on all of these things and you begin to see this and that and all of this, that it's coming. And by the way, those things happen in the last, except for the, the witnesses, they happen in the last three and a half years of Daniel's seven-year uh, week period. And so just prior to the coming of the Lord, all of these things are going to happen. By the way, it talks about that the signs of the heavens, we're going to look at some of those, that they are rolled back as a scroll. So if we had a scroll here and you could read all of the words, but it was rolled up, till you couldn't see it. That's what's going to happen in the signs of the heavens. Joel talks about that. He says, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So just before the day of the Lord comes, the sun and the moon go out. And not only that, he says in 3.15, the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The stars go out. Isaiah 13, 10 describes that as well. The stars of heaven and their constellations will flash for their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Matthew 24, 30, uh, 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its life, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Mark 13, 24, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Do you need more? <laughs> I've given you all sorts of them, and we could see that over and over. How did the sea get into this? He mentions the sea. What happens when the sun goes out and the moon no longer is showing any light? And the moon sends the tides. All of a sudden, the tides are going to be, and the oceans will be, in absolute chaos. We see God has these precursors. These are the events coming to the day of the Lord. Unbelievable. Incomprehensible. The people of the world of that time are going to say, look at verse 3. We're going to close out with this verse. For when they say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. See, all of these things have happened. All of the great cataclysmic things, and that's correct. They say peace and safety. <laughs> 
in spite of all that's happened and during this period of seven years of tribulation, all of the evidences, and you can go back and look in the book of Revelation and you can see what happens with the unveiling and opening of the seals and all those interesting things and what we're going to look at in the book of Daniel. And they sit back and they say, ah, peace and safety. It's all going to be okay. In spite of Antichrist being on the scene, all of that's happening. What does that mean when they say everything's going to be fine? <laughs> We're headed for a time of peace. We're headed for a time of safety. And you may be thinking, that's crazy. <laughs> that's ludicrous. How could anybody, in all of these things that are going to be happening in the day of the Lord, how can anybody say peace and safety? Well, it's pretty simple. They're being convinced by a special group. Now, we have a lot of people that have conspiracy theories today, but let me tell you of a real conspiracy that's coming from the devil himself <laughs> and being moved by his demons. And we understand that. The evolution lie, it's preparing people, because after all, we've had different epics. Oh, we had the Ice Age. We have the uh, Neanderthal age. I don't even know all of the different ages. We're just moving into a new age. You've talked, it's already been introduced. The new age is coming. And after all, all these Christians that caused us so much trouble, they'll be gone. They're gone. They're, no, they're not bothering us anymore. We're coming into a new age of enlightenment. Oh, it's all going to be peace and safety. Do you see how Satan is just deluding the minds of the people so that they're saying, oh, we don't need to worry about that. A very special group of people are working in that. They're trying to do that. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be a wonderful time. Everything's just getting reshuffled. The world's going to continue on. We're gonna, it's going to be better than ever. But you know what? That happened during Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah was preaching and he was telling them about the coming invasion of the Babylonians. The Assyrians had come in and taken the northern kingdom. And now Jeremiah is saying, wait, wake up, look and see. In chapter 6, Jeremiah prophesied of the day of the Lord, and Jeremiah warned Judah of that judgment. And he warned them. In 6.1, he says, Look, flee for safety, O sons of Benjamin. Run to the midst of Jerusalem. Blow a trumpet in Tekoa and raise a signal over Beth Hasarim. Why? Because already look to the north, evil looks down from the north, and a great destruction. There was an army camped to the north of them. The Babylonians were ready to come in. And he's saying, can't you see the signs? Can't you see what's happening? Do you see the signal? Run, flee, get your, get your family, get out. And there was a whole group of prophets that said, peace and safety. Chapter 6, verse 13, he says in the middle of that verse, And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, and they have healed the brokenness of my people, superficially saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. So what are the false prophets saying? Don't worry about that army up there. Don't worry. We're just headed into a new era. We're just headed into a time of peace and safety, the dawning of a new day. 
So where is that message? Well, we know that message was coming. And I've given you many, many others. I won't have time to get into all of them where the prophets were saying, wait a minute, watch out. The day of the Lord is coming. And the false prophets then speak up and they're lying about what's going on. Is it any wonder that in the last days of the Lord, they'll be saying peace and safety. It's all going to be okay. In the latter times, before this final holocaust, this day of the Lord, the world's still going to be crawling with demonically inspired prophets, lying about what's going on, trying to deceive people. Lamentations, again, written by Jeremiah 2 and 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions. They have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity, but they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. Over and over it tells them. Over and over they're warned. Micah 3.5 says, talk looking at the day of the Lord, they cry peace and there's no peace. Why in such an unimaginable thought will the world believe these false prophets who say, it's just the dawning of a new wonderful age. I'll tell you. These false prophets are going to do great and wonderful miracles, signs, wonders. The capability of hell putting on a show, and I mean that literally, that Satan and all of his demons are putting on a show that's going, all the world is going to buy into that witlessly, buying into satanic lies, being led like sheep to a slaughter, even though they've been warned and warned and warned. That's why I believe this message is important for you, for me. That's why I think that what Paul told those at, Thessalon, or at Corinth says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's us Christians. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Whether alive or whether we've died, we're going to be present with the Lord. That each one may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Now, verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Today's the day. Who do you love enough to tell? Like a little girl. I don't want to see you in hell. I want to see you in heaven with my sister and I. I want you to be with us. You see, that's what this is all about. Knowing the day of the Lord. We don't want anyone to go through this. That's why it's our responsibility. Will there be, will we be there at the day of the Lord? Paul told them, no, you're not going to be there at the day of the Lord. You are being taken out. You're going to pass all of that. For us, it's appointed unto glory. For us, it's appointed unto to be with the Lord. Wonderful, great comfort. But that comfort ought to move us out of a comfortable zone, knowing that the coming of Christ is near, knowing that Christ is coming. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord and all these things that are coming, if you know Christ, you'll be taken. If you don't, you will be destroyed when it comes.
You do not want to be in that group. Who is it that you love that you do not want, that you don't want them to be a part of that? Who is it that you could be moved today to tell them, I know of the terror that's coming. I know that the day of the Lord is coming and we don't want you there. You don't have to get into any great theological discussion. We're going to just close out and have a verse of invitation. And we invite you that whatever it may be, whoever it might be that you could move and say, you've got to listen. You've got to, you've got, we don't want you to suffer what's coming in this world. They're going to say it's all peace and safety. They're going to believe the satanic lies. But we know better. And we have purified our lives knowing that we're going to see the Lord. <laughs> I, I believe that you know Christ as Savior, but if you're here and you don't, we want you today to know Christ as Savior. There are those that are listening, those that are watching that may not know Christ as Savior. We want you to know because there's a great and terrible day of the Lord that's coming. We don't want you there. We want you to be with us, to be with us in heaven. How about it? Maybe this ought to move us as a child of God to just reach out today to someone who's just become too comfortable in this world. And we've had this pestilence, this virus, and it set us back, but we've got to be looking unto Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And we need to be encouraged that, wait a minute, he's coming again. All these things are just signs. We know he's coming. We purify ourselves so that maybe we can't give them the great theological discussions, but we can just say, I want you to be in heaven with us. Let me tell you about Jesus, that he died for you. It's that simple that he died so that you could have eternal life. I'm going to ask as we stand, we're going to look to the Lord in prayer. And maybe if you're here and you want to come to a, an old-fashioned altar and pray and ask God's help and ask his strength, or, or maybe you need to make something known to this church or unite with this church or whatever it might be, if you don't know Christ as Savior, we want you to come so that we can share with you today that you can know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.